Welcome into the Week 8 Sharp Angles podcast. My name is Warren Sharp of sharpfootballanalysis.com. Really looking forward to doing this podcast with you. We've got seven weeks in the book, moving through now into Week 8 and onwards. We're going to try to do this on a weekly basis every single Friday afternoon, delivering this to you in your podcast feed. It's going to be a quick breeze through the week's slate diving into matchups and analytical nuggets that you need to be aware of, betting and DFS angles that you can take advantage of, and injuries that you need to factor into your analysis of the card. I'm going to be joined by my fantasy football expert, Rich Rebar, and our props expert, TA Cleveland. And we're going to be walking through this card. You can follow us on Twitter. Rich is at Lord Reeves. TA is at Cleve TA. And I'm at Sharp Football on Twitter. Let's dive right into it because I think we've got a really interesting slate, gentlemen. I want an interesting nugget from UTA on this week's slate. I know you're going to talk to me a little bit about a team that got blown out last week, and we saw that on primetime. Go ahead and tell me about the New York Jets. Yeah, thanks, Warren. So uh, the Jets looked ugly. Uh, That game was ugly on Monday night against New England, but it feels like every team that goes up against that Patriots defense just looks like a JV team. So, um, you know, for me, and I know for you as well, and many others, be a successful, better, buying low, uh, and obviously selling higher, the kind of the the angles that you need to to focus on and not uh, pay attention to near-term recency, uh, you know, results. So, for me, you know, I like the Jets here plus six and a half. And really, it's interesting because of that kind of buy low, sell high angle. Um, I found a, an interesting nugget that I've used. I used last year. It was 4-0. Uh, but since 1992, teams off of a shutout loss and are then underdogs by over a field goal going up against non-division opponents. So opponents that just they don't know each other. It's unfamiliar. Uh, territory, those underdogs are 47 and 10 against the spread. So over 80% uh, hit rate. And actually last night, the Redskins fell into that territory and they covered as well. So I don't blindly take any of these trends. I, I try to make sure that it makes sense when you look at one of these trends, but this one does just because of the angle of you know team getting embarrassed. They're going to be highly motivated uh, the next week. The market is going to uh, fade them a lot of times. So we've seen that the line go from four and a half up to six and a half. And, you know, maybe the opponent's taking them lightly. Uh, and so that's where you want to buy a team like the Jets. So for me, I thought that was an interesting angle. And I think that's that's a side that I think makes sense to uh, to back here going forward. I really wish that uh, the Jets would get Chris Herndon back. I think that would really help Sam Darnold out a lot. I know that they really could rely on a tight end there. So I don't disagree with you there, but I wish that guy could get a little bit healthier. Rich, I know you want to tell me a little bit about the New England Patriots, the team that just walloped Sam Darnold and the Jets on Monday night. Talk to me about the Patriots this week. Yeah, kind of a situation that almost plays off of TAs, even though that game was in New York, but they played earlier in their year and it ended up being Luke Falk. Uh, but, you know, the Patriots have now, they did beat everyone, typically. You know, they've beat everyone. They've had Bill Belichick, but since Bill Belichick was hired in 2000, they faced 40 year one or year two quarterbacks at home uh, in, the, in their 37-3 and three against those passers. And the last guy to beat them was Colin Kaepernick in week 15 of 2012. That was over that was 18 games ago in these circumstances. Of course, they've got in one of these circumstances this week against Baker Mayfield, a year two quarterback that's struggling. You know, Mayfield is last in the NFL in quarterback rating under pressure, last in quarterback rating in the red zone as well. Uh, and then we also have the Patriots on this, uh, you know, just unreal streak of winning at home, period, no matter who they're playing. They've won 19 consecutive games at home. It's the longest active streak in the league. Uh, it's the, the fourth longest active streak in NFL history. They still got a ways to get there to those early 70s Dolphins teams that won 31 straight home games. But the next closest current home 
winning streak in the NFL is four games after the Vikings won last night. Uh, so, I mean, it's just one of these, you know, weird trends where the Patriots beat everyone, but they particularly devour young quarterbacks at home. Do you think that Baker Mayfield is, is because of the score, you know, and with the Patriots doing well offensively, typically, uh, it's puts a lot of pressure onto these young guys specifically. Um, and, and Baker may be having to make a lot of dropbacks and he typically hasn't done well. And if they're trailing, they might have to go to more three wide receiver sets, which is where he tends to see a lot more pressure. Do you think the fact that some of these quarterbacks end up trailing and having to throw a lot on the Patriots is part of that factor that they struggle so much? Yeah, absolutely. And I had an article about, you know, game pace and I've done, I've done work on game pace for years and, and production. You know, a lot of people chase the myth of garbage time because, you know, typically you'll have one guy do really well in garbage time a week and you really pad his stats. But typically NFL quarterbacks trailing, especially late in games, tend to do worse. They're, all their production typically sags off and all their rate stats go down because when you're um, one dimensional as an offense and you lose offensive leverage and the defense knows what you're doing, they're a high percentage completion pass, but low percentage, you know, in terms of EPA and, you know, in terms of, of success rate and stuff like that. Uh, so, I mean, uh, that is definitely part of the problem is that the Patriots get leads and they force teams into off-script offense, uh, which is typically what you don't want to be chasing in the NFL. An interesting angle for me that I'm looking at this week relates to the fact that the Detroit Lions just lost their number one running back, on Johnson. And one of the reasons why that's especially interesting for a team like the uh, Detroit Lions is because they run the football so much. They're such a run-heavy, run-based offense. Um, they want to stop the run on defense and run the football on offense. And now they're going to be without him in this matchup. And it's a matchup that comes with a really big schedule angle for a passing attack. And I start looking at strength of schedule around about this time of the year. The Detroit Lions have just played three top 15 pass defenses over the last four weeks. They had a bye in week five, but they played the Kansas City Chiefs, who have the fourth best pass defense, the Green Bay Packers, who have the sixth best pass defense, and then the Minnesota Vikings, who have the 14th best pass defense in the NFL. Obviously, they lost all three of those games against those good pass defenses. The first three weeks of the season, they played below average pass defenses and didn't lose a single one of those three games. They're obviously favored big at home against the New York Giants. I I have a feeling, though, that with the Giants being 27th in the NFL against the pass right now, this is going to be an opportunity for the Detroit Lions to throw the football a little bit more. Now, we saw that Mike Zimmer is a defensive-oriented coach, and he also likes to run the football very much like Matt Patricia, and so they're reticent to throw the football as often. But I really think it would be in Detroit's best interest here to turn a little bit more to the pass, especially without on Johnson, and try to attack the number 27 pass defense here. So I'm looking at this as the easiest leap in ease of schedule of the entire week for a quarterback who has played tough opponents over the last month and now gets to face a really easy opponent. But it's not such a slam dunk because unlike other teams who tend to go with where the matchups are, I'm worried that the Detroit Lions will continue to insist on running the football even with a backup running back here. But that is something that definitely uh, jumped out to me and uh, you guys should be interested in tracking that. I don't know, Rich, what your thoughts are on Matthew Stafford this week as a play. Feel free to disagree with me and my analysis, but what do you make of Matthew Stafford this week? Yeah, he's a tremendous play. Absolutely. I mean, especially if you you had a guy like Patrick Mahomes and, and Matthew Stafford is available to pick up, absolutely run and do that. You know, at home against the Giants team that they're where, where you want to attack them is what you hit on is through the air and the vertical pass. You know, Matthew Stafford is first in the NFL in rate of 20 yard completions. Uh, and he leads the NFL in average depth of target. The New York Giants are allowing 54% of throws 15 yards or further to be completed on. That's the third highest in the league ahead of just the Dolphins and Falcons. So it's tailor-made for them to swerve in and lean on Matthew Stafford because it's the best part of their offense right now. 
Yeah, and I'll say real quick too. I just want to interrupt. Um, last week, you know, we we talked about the Vikings and the, and the Lions, and uh, we thought that the Stafford might struggle because he's been throwing deep so often. And uh, Minnesota's got a good defense um, with the deep ball. I mean, Detroit threw the ball deep pretty well. He had a really big game, and they're able to move it on the Vikings. So uh, I agree. You know, he can kind of move it on anybody, and I think it gets this weak uh, Giants defense. It's a good play. They've allowed the third most explosive passes in the NFL. So uh, I totally agree with both of your sentiments. Yep, let's move on to uh, – I'll stick with Rich right now, and we'll jump back to TA in a second. What is a really lopsided or interesting matchup for fantasy betting-wise, Rich? What are you looking at this week? Yeah, from the fantasy side, and I hate to pick on you know the, the Oakland Raiders after what happened last week, but it's a complete mismatch for, for what the Houston offense can do. You know, this is a Raiders team that's traveled over 21,000 miles since week two. Uh, you know, they still haven't played a game in Oakland since, uh, you know, so, since week two. Uh, but you look at their vertical pass game and what they just did to that va- uh, gaggle of vagabonds of receivers that the Packers rolled out last week. They made them look like the 94, you know, Houston Oilers. Uh, Oakland is, is a lot of league high, nine touchdowns on throws 15 yards or further downfield. They're allowing a 50% completion rate. That's 27th in the league. They're allowing a game of 20 plus yards once every 10 plays on defense. That's the highest rate in the league. Big fantasy production comes from big explosive plays. And that's what we're going to get from Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, and now Kenny Stills. The Raiders also are poor because they're last in the league in pressure rate, just 11.8% of their dropbacks this season. Uh, and they're allowing a league high 22 passing points per game. Now we saw with the injury to Will Fuller last week, DeAndre Hopkins, his average up the target went up to 10.2 yards. That was his highest in a game since week four. Kenny Stills came in and played 94% of the snaps last week. And he's fourth among all wide receivers in yards per route run on the season so he's gonna be a full-time player this week against that Raiders defense that's 32nd in points allowed per target to wide receivers and 30th in fantasy points allowed per target yeah and I agree I think that with the fact that the Houston Texans now have ultimate weapons there they've got Kenny Stills they've got these other guys in there especially a Duke Johnson who could catch the ball out of the backfield that's really going to augment the loss of Fuller and I think that there's going to be some edges there as you mentioned for this Houston offense the biggest worry anytime you're looking to back the Texans is how good is that opposing pass rush and in this case it's very much like the Atlanta Falcons this is a team that struggles to rush the passer and I'm thinking that uh, the Oakland Raiders are really going to struggle to get that pressure on Deshaun Watson to make him uncomfortable and uh, if he's comfortable back there in the pocket that's a worst nightmare for your defense so I'm looking forward to that game as well Rich. TA why don't you tell me a little bit about one of the angles that uh, you're looking at here where you think it's a mismatch and uh, you got a couple of uh, run defenses that you want to talk about. Yeah, so kind of combining the uh, two of the same theme. So again, talking about that Jets-Jags matchup uh, outside of just the, uh, the good betting angle. You know, this is a good matchup, I think, for the Jets. So the one thing they do well is they've stopped the run this year. They're, they're top six in the NFL, um, depending on what metric you use, uh, six in DVOA, fifth in success rate. And we know that the Jaguars love to run the ball. They're 10th in um, rushing percentage uh, in close game situations. They've been leaning on Leonard Fournette, who's had a great year or at least the last few weeks, has uh, uh, really uh, come on. So if you're able to stop the run there, force Gardner Minshew to beat you. You know, that Minshew magic has uh, faded lately. The last two weeks, he's completed under 5% of his passes, and it's not like he uh, faced a great defense last week in the Bengals. I think he completed 46% of his passes. So I think this is a good spot um, for the Jets essentially force Minshew to, to throw on them, and I'm not sure he can do that. The other matchup that I think is very similar is the Philadelphia-Buffalo matchup. So uh, the Eagles do slow down the run. Uh, they're awful against the pass, but you know we know the Bills rely on the run game pretty heavily. Uh, so I think if they can you know slow that down, 
force Josh Allen to throw the ball. And we know he hasn't been accurate for, for, since his career has started. Uh, I don't think he could take advantage of that Philadelphia secondary. So uh, from that perspective, I think both Philly and the Jets are, uh, are a good matchup here against teams that, that really rely on running game. Yeah, and Philly in that game, I think is really interesting. We start to look at the weather a little bit more frequently this time of year because there are more likely to be storms to blow through, rain and wind. Uh, heavy, heavy rain and wind are obviously very bad for for totals, but they also factor into like the style and flow of a game um, and can help certain teams more than they hurt. In the Eagles' case, their biggest weakness has been that secondary, allowing those deeper passes, and they've just been terrible at that. And the good thing for them is they do get to face Josh Allen, who, as you mentioned, has not been good throwing the football deep this year. And there's actually supposed to be some substantial wind at the time that we're recording this up in Buffalo. The rain, I think, will have moved through if the wind ends up sticking around, which it is forecast to do right now through probably around like 8, 9 o'clock in the evening, and this game's at 1 o'clock. That wind, I think, is being forecast right now between 18 to 23 miles per hour with gusts up into the mid. 30s. So that certainly could help the Eagles secondary against some of those deeper passes. One of the interesting ones that I'm looking at, guys, and this definitely does have some uh, fantasy implications, is Derrick Henry and the rushing attack of the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans uh, rushing attack You know, it ranks below average, but they've played the third easiest schedule of opposing run defenses so far this year. The last time they faced a top 15 run defense was the Denver Broncos. Denver ranks 13th in run defense, and Tennessee lost that game 16 to nothing. They didn't score a single point in that contest. The last couple of weeks, they've played defenses prior to that who have not been very good against the run. I mean, if you look at the uh, Chargers they played last week and the Bills, both those teams are 23rd and 24th against the run. And earlier on in the season, they played 25th ranked Browns, 31st ranked Colts and the 27th ranked Jacksonville Jaguars. Now they have to go up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have one of the best, definitely well into the top five run defenses in the league. I think they were number one. Now they've dropped off a little bit slightly to number three. Uh, But if you look at some of the opponents that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have faced, I think that ranking makes it even more impressive. They've gone up against Christian McCaffrey and the Carolina Panthers twice. They've gone up against Alvin Kamara and the New Orleans Saints rushing attack. They've gone up against Kyle Shanahan's San Francisco 49ers rushing attack back in week one. And they also faced the Rams with with Todd Gurley and that rushing attack, which isn't as good as it was in years past, but it's still overall like a pretty well-designed system. They've faced a lot of those really, really strong run offenses. The Tennessee Titans are the easiest run offense that they will have faced on this season to date. It's the only run defense, a run offense that they will have faced that ranks bottom 10 in the NFL. Tampa's off of a bye. They should be fresh, healthier defensively upon that front. And I wonder if they're going to force Ryan Tannehill into throwing this football. And Ryan Tannehill certainly was zipping it in there. I was surprised he wasn't throwing a couple more picks in the game against the Chargers because some of those passes were on that wide receiver super quick. And if that defender was just somewhat closer, those things could have been picked off. So if they can't run the football whatsoever and really have to rely on Tannehill here, it could create some turnovers. That being said, Tampa Bay's defense, especially against the pass, has been uh, their weak link. They were 25th in the NFL there, uh, number one against the runs. So I think this should be an interesting matchup uh, and really potentially limit Derrick Henry on the ground in this spot. Let's talk about one of the biggest games I alluded to the team earlier, San Francisco uh, and Carolina, both these teams. uh, Really strong, decent running attacks, uh, quarterbacks that are able to move the ball down the field. Uh, There's a lot to break down into this matchup, and we wanted to focus on this uh, game of the week. It's the 405 
kickoff. It's the lone game that does kick off at 4.05 on Sunday. And I think it's going to be a really marquee game between a team that we were both high on guys. I mean, earlier this offseason, the three of us sat down on many a call and talked about our futures and our props. And these were two teams in the NFC that we identified as being much higher on than the market. I'll just start with the San Francisco 49ers. That was a team last season I tagged in my 2019 football preview that I wrote this past spring and summer as one of two teams last year that finished top 10 in my early down success rate metric on both offense and defense. Um, Even though they had a 4-12 and record, they were really good on early downs. Terrible turnover luck. They righted that this year, uh, inserted a couple of new players. Their defense has been falling out. That's a really good undefeated team. And then you got Carolina who's coming in off of a bye, um, playing on the road. Fortunately, they don't have to play a primetime game, a late night game. um, So they don't have the uh, schedule and the time clock working against them here, but they've looked real good with Kyle Allen at quarterback. So I'll start with UTA. What are some of the things that you would like to mention about this matchup and give me a quick breakdown? Yeah, thanks. So this is pretty interesting. Um, I was looking at, you know, who Kyle Allen has faced since he's come into the lineup. Um, and you look at the, some of the past defenses he's faced, Arizona, Houston, Jacksonville, and Tampa, uh, three of those four rank uh, in the bottom 10 in DVOA pass defense. The only one that is that is ranked higher is Jacksonville. You know, some of those numbers are skewed because they include Jalen Ramsey, which he didn't have to face. So he's really faced a soft pass defense schedule so far. And San Francisco, you know, comes in number two in the NFL uh, in DVOA pass defense. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they game plan for that pass defense and if he can be successful or if they're just going to rely on the run game with, uh, Christian McCaffrey. And the other side of the ball, we know the Niners' bread and butter is, is running the football. Carolina's 30th in the NFL in run defense. So uh, I think they're going to have some success um, against that Carolina run defense. We know that the, the Panthers put pressure on the quarterback. They don't have to blitz a lot. I think they, they blitz the least in the NFL. So uh, I think they're going to rely on the run game, whereas I think uh, Carolina is going to have to rely on the run game as well. So we'll be curious to see how, how this game plays out. Maybe this is an under because of all the, the running uh, that we think is going to go on. I'm not, I'm not really sure, but um, I think it's interesting from that angle in terms of you know, who kind of figures out um, you know, the run game better between the two teams. But uh, I think it should be a really, really good and entertaining game. Yeah, I love it. I can't wait to talk a little bit about that run game momentarily. But Rich, what do you make of this game and what are some of your edges? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I want to see how Carolina approaches this game from an offensive stance. There's 31 passers in the NFL that have thrown 100 or more passes this season, and Kyle Allen is dead last of those 31 in first down pass attempt rate, but he's first and third down pass attempt rate. So they're really only making him throw when they have to throw, uh, which is a problem because on third downs, he's completed just 51.4% of his third down passes. That's ahead of just Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen of all the passers that have thrown 20 or more third down passes. So they're going to have to come up with a a unique way to approach this game because you guys kind of hit upon it. They're going to have to use someone else than Christian McCaffrey this week. You know, McCaffrey's averaging a league high 153.8 yards from scrimmage. No running back has had more than 100 yards from scrimmage against the 49ers this season. For fantasy purposes, they haven't allowed a running back to finish higher than RB30 in a game this season. I mean, I'll go on a limb and say Christian McCaffrey will finish higher than RB30 this week. Um, 
but Christian McCaffrey has faced just one defense so far that ranks in the top 12 in yards from scrimmage allowed to backfields. San Francisco was third, uh, and that was the Buccaneers twice. And in those games, McCaffrey had 18 touches for 53 yards and 18 touches for 57 yards. Now, he did have the two touchdowns in the latter game, but they didn't have success just running the offense through Christian McCaffrey. And against a Bucks team that didn't put up any resistance to the ancillary pieces, the 49ers will here. Uh, so it's going to be real curious to see how it plays out because the 49ers also, you would say, well, they don't give a lot of yards to running backs because they've been in such favorable game script but they're also first in the nfl in receiving points allowed to opposing backfields as well which is you know what mccaffrey you know how he makes his you know dual usage in terms of fantasy so i'm real curious to see how the panthers try to approach this game plan and see if they just try to funnel their offense through christian mccaffrey or they try to get in some of these other pieces in the offense and attack the 49ers probably more with a little bit through the air on first down instead of just trying to use christian mccaffrey like they've been against these teams that uh, they've been able to push over so let me follow up that, Rich, and ask you, which piece do you think that you would want to focus on from a DFS standpoint? If you want to kind of plant the flag and fade Christian McCaffrey in this spot, knowing that you know other people might try to do the same type of thing, but at the same time, there are going to be people who just think Christian McCaffrey's Christian McCaffrey's matchup proof. Who would you look to supplement from this offense and, and try to take some pieces of from a DFS perspective? Yeah, I mean, uh, you could, for direct pivots from Christian McCaffrey, you're going to look at guys probably not in this game, but if they're going to have successful in this game, I think their biggest mismatch piece is DJ Moore. Uh, on the left side, I mean, uh, rookie Emmanuel Mosley's been good per snap, but we know that he's still the weakest link of that secondary. It just hasn't been exploited yet. He hasn't really seen any targets come his way either, you know, from these teams. So, I mean, I would look for DJ Moore because the 49ers are really built to do two things. Defend the run, and they have fast linebackers. You know, Fred Warner, Quan Alexander, these are smaller linebackers of speed. They are excellent against tight ends, and they're excellent against backs out of the backfield. So, I mean, I would look at you know, to a guy like DJ Moore, uh, whereas Curtis Samuel is going to run, you know, 40% of his routes, uh, you know, in the slot and then on the right side, you know, where uh, Richard Sherman plays. Yeah, I'm going to dig into the rushing matchup here because I think it is fascinating and we know we want to try to see can Carolina figure out any type of way to run the football. The good thing about Carolina has been they've actually been a very aggressive passing team. Um, They've gone in that direction surprisingly strongly uh, since the Turners have come to town and it's much more efficient. This is what we like to see. So many coaches will come in and say, we got Christian McCaffrey, we're just going to run him a million times and that's all we're going to do. They've actually looked, and they're the 10th highest uh, team in terms of pass rate in the NFL. The 49ers are actually the second lowest team in terms of pass rate. Their pass run ratio is second most run heavy, whereas Carolina is the 10th most pass heavy. So they understand matchups. And of course, they've played the Bucks twice, and they definitely did not run Christian McCaffrey very much in those games. So they're going to be challenged to run the football here a little bit. But there are some potential edges for them in this run game. And I'm going to be interested if they're looking at the same type of analytics that I am, obviously, uh, when I'm working and, and assisting some teams, I'm breaking down things just like this. So let me share how I would break down this game from a rushing perspective. Most teams are running the football on the San Francisco 49ers using out outside zone and they're only gaining 3.6 yards per carry and those runs are only posting a 45% success rate. But inside zone and power is substantially more efficient. Inside zone is gaining 4.4 yards per carry and a 56% success rate. Power is gaining 4.5 yards per carry and a 63% success rate. So attacking the 49ers in the interior of that line and stop trying to get speed to the edges is definitely beneficial. Now, 
the way that if you were going to use outside zone, you don't want to do what most teams have been doing, which is using outside zone from 11 personnel, trying to run to the edges. That's just producing a 3.7 yard per carry and a 37% success rate against the 49ers. But if you run outside zone from 12, you're actually producing a 70% success rate. Only almost twice as many runs are producing a successful result and you're gaining 4.1 yards per carry. So if you are the Carolina Panthers and you're trying to figure out, I know I need to run. I can't just have Kyle Allen drop back a million times. How are we going to be efficient on the runs that we do call? It's very important not to call inefficient runs. And therefore, you don't want to be calling many outside zone runs, especially not from 11. You want to be focusing more on inside zone and outside zone from 12. And if they can do that, it might make the rushing attack a little bit more uh, punchy than typically we've come to expect from what the 49ers have allowed. But both of these teams, such good pass defenses. You know, we've got the 49ers with the number two best pass defense, the Carolina Panthers with the number three best pass defense. When these teams have to throw the football, how well are they going to do? How good can they scheme some things up offensively? I think it's just going to be an absolutely fascinating matchup. Can't wait to see this one kick off at four o'clock. The line right now, we're seeing San Francisco laying about six points, five and a half to six points here, and a little bit of money has come in um, on the under. Let's talk about some key injuries for a minute. TA, I'll start with you. What is a key injury to a position group or a player that you think is going to have some impact from a betting or fantasy perspective this weekend? Yeah, I'm looking kind of off the board, and uh, I picked the uh, Chargers defensive line. So Melvin Ingram, Brandon Meebane, you know, they've really struggled the last few weeks stopping the run. It started a couple of weeks ago against the Steelers on that Sunday night, and then last week Derrick Henry had a nice game. Look at the last three weeks. They've allowed uh, an average of 137 rush yards over 4.2 yards per carry. Um, two opponents only rank 15th, 23rd, and 24th in DVOA run offense. So they've given up way above expectations from that from that perspective. And um, you know, having Ingram and Nebane back would be huge for them Ingram as well just from the pass rush perspective and you know they're going up against the the Bears who <laughs> uh, pretty well documented how much Mitch Trubisky has struggled and the fact that you know Matt Nagy getting a lot of criticism for how often he's throwing the ball um, and it didn't just start last week he's been doing it all season they have the second lowest percentage of runs in one score game situations I mean they're just relying way too much on the pass um, and, you know, look, we like to pass the ball more than run. We, we get that, but not when you've got Mitch Trubisky and you've got uh, Chase Daniel uh, under center and you're struggling so much. You know, you think you'd want to balance it out just a little bit more. And um, not so when I, Mitch Trubisky is wearing a shoulder harness either. I mean, that was pretty exactly. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, look, we get it. You, you want to throw the ball a little bit more, but not, not to this extent. So I think David Montgomery is kind of an interesting spot um, in terms of, you know, maybe he'll get more carries than he has the last two weeks. He had 13 carries combined. Um, but from an injury perspective, if those guys are back for the Chargers, I think they can at least shore up the run game a little bit. But if not, then I think that's an area that uh, the Bears might be able to exploit if Nagy decides to run the ball a little bit more often. Rich, what do you got? Yeah, for fantasy, it's pretty easy. We need to know uh, if Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara are going to play Sunday. Those are the two guys we're, we're watching. Uh, you know, Alvin Kamara it would seemingly make a lot of sense for them to hold him out with their bye next week. You know, he has that ankle injury, and you can give him an extra week off. But with Drew Brees, he doesn't have one of these, you know, uh, soft tissue injuries or anything. Like that. If he's good to play, um, he should be good to walk back into the lineup. You know, Teddy Bridgewater's done a really good job 
of holding the ship down, and they've you know g- gone undefeated with Teddy. But this hasn't been, for fantasy purposes, the, the Saints offense that we've chased for fantasy. He's doing a good job of getting the ball to Michael Thomas, but all these ancillary pieces that Drew Brees typically floats have all fallen by the wayside, and they're in the middle of the league in scoring, you know, yards per play under Teddy. Uh, not that high-volume offense that we love so much with Drew Brees. And if Drew Brees comes back, he'll be walking into a top-10 matchup. You know, Arizona's 30th in completion rate. The quarterback's 27th in passing yardage, 31st in passing points allowed per game for fantasy purposes. And then on the Kamara side, if he is somehow unable to go, we're going to get Latavius Murray in another smash spot. I mean, he was a bell cow as a, a road dog last week uh, against that game against the Bears. And game script fell in his favor, but he played 84% of the snaps. He handled 32 of 37 backfield touches last week. Uh, and Arizona's allowed 128 yards for scrimmage per game uh, to the opposing lead backs over their past five games. So if we get the, you know Drew Brees in uh, and, and Alvin Kamara out, it's going to be a situation that's going to play a big role into you know, a lot of DFS lineups and fantasy lineups this week. And I, I'm just ready for the Saints to look like the old Saints again. Yeah, I've been super impressed with what Teddy Bridgewater has been doing with that offense, but it definitely will be interesting to see when they do look like the old Saints again. I'm going to jump right into some fantasy plays and props, guys. Uh, Let's keep this hopping here. TA, you got a couple of fantasy plays for me this week? Yeah, I'll I'll hit two real quick. So we talked about that Niners run game. I I like Matt Breida this week. It's fifth in explosive run rate. If you eliminate last week's uh, mud bowl against the the Redskins, um, he's fifth in explosive run rate at 15% of his runs. Uh, the, the Panthers allow a third highest percentage of explosive runs in the NFL, and they're 29th in open field run defense. So I think uh, from that perspective, uh, Breida could have a big day. And I also like Austin Hooper, and it's look, it's questionable if Matt Ryan's going to play. Probably not, but Matt Schaub targeted him three times in his final drive uh, in mop-up duty. The last time he uh, played it in mop-up duty last season against the Steelers, um, he threw a target as well there in, in his one drive. So um, and Hooper did catch a touchdown uh, in the final play of the game uh, last week. So I think Hooper's got a shot to, to have a good game. And Seattle's pass defense uh, against tight ends um, isn't very good. They're, they've allowed the fifth highest target share to tight ends, and they're 21st in the NFL in yards per attempt allowed. And if you watch that Ravens game last week, Mark Andrews was open all game, and he just kept dropping passes. It was pretty unbelievable. They had eight targets and probably dropped five of them. So that middle of the field's wide open. So no matter who's the quarterback for uh, – for Atlanta. I think Hooper's going to get a lot of action. It was like Mark Andrews was allergic to water. There was a little bit of drizzle there and it was just too much for him to handle to catch the ball uh, accurately. Rich, how about you? I think you're going to be talking about a game that I discussed before in terms of a really tough run defense and a team that might be passing the football a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely going to piggyback off of your, uh, you know, the take that you laid out earlier in the show and focus on the Tennessee passing game because you hit upon it. I mean, 18.3% of the yardage gained against the Buck this season has come from via rushing. That's the lowest rate in the NFL. And you laid out their strength of schedule so far of opponents they faced. Uh, you know, they faced quite a rogues gallery of, of really effective backs, and those guys haven't been able to get anything going. Ryan Tannehill looked better. Then and I don't remember that Ryan Tannehill that we saw last week. It was his first 300-yard passing game since week three of 2016. He was throwing into tight windows. You know, that was – he's typically, you know, him and Marcus Mariota are the Spider-Man meme. Like, those guys are cautious game managers. But he was throwing into tight windows in a matchup that 
you know, the into that Charger secondary uh, that, you know, has been pretty pretty solid in a team that we've avoided for fantasy purposes for the number of years. But they get this Tampa Bay pass funnel defense that's allowing 19.1 passing points per game. That's 27th in the league. They've allowed 17 or more fantasy points to Kyle Allen, Teddy Bridgewater, Jared Goff, and Daniel Jones over their past four games. And on the flip side, his receivers, I mean, Corey Davis had a season-high 24% uh, share of the team targets with Tannehill. He had six for 80 and 81. Tampa Bay's allowing a league-high 21.7 points per game to opposing wide receiver one options. A.J. Brown saw a season-high eight targets and six catches. We're going to get the Adam Humphreys and the revenge game narrative. Uh, the Bucks don't discriminate. They're also 26th in points allowed to opposing slot receivers. And they are also second to last in defending tight ends. And we're going to get John O. Smith playing for Delaney Walker, who looks to be a, a huge question mark in this game. So I know Arthur Smith and Mike Vrabel are probably still going to hand the ball off, you know, 15-plus times to Derrick Henry. They shouldn't. Uh, they should attack this Tampa Bay defense through the air, and, it, and it's really inviting for fantasy purposes because uh, all these guys are so cheap and have been bench options all season uh, for you to have. A, they're probably one of their big ceiling weeks of the season. Yeah, and I'm going to get into a little bit of like the dumb coaching here. I just want to go on a little rant, but real quick before I do that, want to mention that up at sharpfootballanalysis.com, which is where you can find all of my stuff, where you can find all of Rich's stuff, where you can find all of TA stuff, and many, many other articles, analysis, fantasy football, DFS sports betting props. We got you covered around the gamut of analytics as well. We are running a special 33% off anything at the website all weekend long. Highly encourage you to take advantage of that. Whether you want to buy a one week package to get some access to some of the fantasy that Rich does, the props that TA does, the betting that I do, or you want to go ahead and jump in and save some money, do a monthly package or a rest of the season package. Everything is 33% off. So obviously the best bang for your buck will be the long term, but certainly a great value if you want to just dip your toes in the water with us this weekend. My quick analytical rant here is something you just kind of alluded to. Will they still try to run the football? Well, I want to turn and look directly at Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer made a comment about the game last night and said that fourth and one decision where he went for it instead of punting was the dumbest decision that he has ever made since he's been in Minnesota. And one of the big things that a lot of the analytics guys were excited about over the summer is when Kirk Cousins was talking about the fact that he had been reading up articles on play action. So everybody just assumed that the Vikings were going to become this super ultra pro analytics, highly uh, efficient team that's going to make optimal decisions in every situation. And as soon as I heard that come out, I said, whoa, pump the brakes here because we got Mike Zimmer as the head coach. And the head coach ultimately is the one who's going to make all of these calls. And he knew that this team is better running the football and he wants to help his defense. And he's got the old school mentality that if we control the clock and keep my defense on the sideline healthy, then my defense is going to look better. My quarterback's not going to make bad interceptions is going to affect our game plan. And so we just want to be a run-based team, a conservative offense, and let us win these lower scoring games. Well, the dumb part about what Mike Zimmer has been doing, first of all, quarterback sneaks are great. That was actually a plus EV situation. By punting the football in that situation, they would have lowered their expected win rate in the game by like three percentage points. So it was the smart play to try to go for it. And quarterback sneaks are the smartest play to try to use in short yardage situation. They have over a 20% advantage versus turning around, walking back a few steps and handing the ball to your running back who then has to cover that same ground. You just went backwards and try to do so before the defenders and the linebackers come crashing down and closing out all of those gaps. The sneak is 
by far the most plus EV uh, play to call in that situation. All of that being said, Mike Zimmer has been the third most run heavy team. And to date, the Minnesota Vikings has played the 11th toughest schedule of run defenses. So he's running the football at a tremendous rate against defenses that are really good at stopping the run. And he's passing the ball. His passing offense is the sixth most efficient in the league. And they've played the fourth easiest defenses to pass the football on. So why aren't you being a little bit more balanced? I would argue that that is more of a dumb decision than trying to go for it on this fourth down, which was actually a plus EV decision. I will say that Minnesota, a much easier schedule of run defenses moving forward. I think things are going to get easier. It'll look better. This team will be able to run the ball a little bit more effectively uh, coming up over the next several weeks, including against the Kansas City Chiefs 29th ranked run defense starting next week. But let's conclude things here on this podcast, guys. And I really want to once again, shout out the coupon code of SHARP33. That's the code you have to enter. It's 33% off. Just use SHARP33 on the website. Anything, any product, all weekend long. Rich, this is the first time we've had a chance to talk to you on this podcast, obviously our episode one here. Tell me 30 seconds. What do you guys do on the fantasy side? Tell me about your worksheet. What's the free game this week? Because so many people keep emailing us, talking to us about how much they love the worksheet, how improved it is this season, and they've really found it invaluable as they're creating their lineups on a weekly basis. So what are you doing with that worksheet and how useful is it for fantasy players? Yeah, I mean, the worksheet, I I take a top-down look at every game uh, of every week and look at every fantasy player that's, you know, relevant in that game and, you know, offer up more than just two words on that player and give you a little insight of what we're thinking. It's all completely objective-based. There's no feel or anything like that. Uh, So definitely, you know, check that out. And then I'm doing DFS content throughout the week at the end of the week as well to get you set for your DFS lineups. This week, the free game in the worksheet is the Patriots and the Browns. Uh, So definitely go check that out this week. It really, uh, you know, it comes out uh, Tuesdays, 24 hours after the Monday Night Football game ends. Typically, all the games are up. So you can get your week started real early uh, with a lot of knowledge on the games. Yeah, that's one of the big edges we tried to push for in creating this is that we're giving you a head start, major head start over any of the articles that are going to start breaking games down, which typically will come out Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday. You know, we're hitting them up. Monday night into Tuesday, we're getting those articles out there with deep dives into all the game matchups. So uh, really encourage you to find the value in that. TA, I know you're doing the props for us and you're hitting all different types of props. Sometimes it's like the first score touchdown. You're also hitting some of the regular game props and yardage props. But you're also doing some work with some of the super contest game recommendations. You're doing a Thursday night article that's tackling betting. Give me about 20 seconds to tell me about some of the things that you're contributing over at Sharp Football Analysis and what people can get when they do use that 33% off Sharp 33 coupon code. Yeah, so I, I do post, um, uh, you know, not only do we give out some of the props and, you know, we're starting to get more data uh, from some of these games that we can use and some of the advanced uh, metrics to help uh, bring some good props to to our subscribers, but also just I've been posting Thursday night previews. Um, you know, I, I've been picking the games on Thursday night and I've gone seven and one against the spread. So, so far, so good for those that have tailed those picks. Um, but I also uh, gave out some uh, some good matchups. Uh, during the weekend. So uh, I'm working on one right now. Some of the things that we talked about and uh, some other matchups that you know I think make um, make for good either DFS plays or potentially, um, depending on what the, the prop lines come out, um, you know, potential good prop plays. So um, kind of a, a mix of, of all of that. And I think there's, there's so much good stuff on the site and all the, the great stuff that Rich does as well, you know, helps me prepare for, for some of these uh, matchups and some of the, the props as well. So a lot of really good information, I think, up on the site. 
Well, that will conclude episode one of the Sharp Angles podcast. We're looking forward to sharing these with you every single Friday afternoon. Hope you guys enjoy it. Feel free to share it with your friends, dive into it on all your podcast apps. And we, with that said, for Rich, for TA, for myself, thank you guys. Good luck this weekend. And we will see you around those fantasy football, sports betting, and prop streets. Be sure to check out sharpfootballanalysis.com and use coupon code SHARP33 to get 33% off. Good luck this weekend, guys.